all of a sudden, my cat came to me every night in dreams, asking me a simple question, why are you hating me? In Romans chapter 8, it says clearly that all creation waits until the, the sons of God are going to appear. So you are you a son of God for your cat? Or who are you? Are you God's manager? Are you God's ambassador to the cats of the world? Or who are you? Well, I really hated her. So this question what became that important in my life. Hello and welcome to the All Things Reconciled podcast, where we want to inspire and equip you to embody and embrace the ministry of reconciliation in your local context. I am your host, Jeanette Bohm, and joining me is Phil Wagler from Peace and Reconciliation Network. Thanks, Jeanette. Welcome, everyone. Glad that you're here. Uh, excited about this second episode in this little short series we're doing on the impact of reconciliation and understanding reconciliation in our own stories because we need to be inspired and equipped in this direction. We're all, as Christians, called to be peacemakers and reconcilers in our, our own lives, our households, our churches, our cities, our nations, our world, and we hope that you are inspired and equipped to do this a little bit more in the everyday realities of your life. Uh, again, in this episode, we're pleased to have Johannes Reimer with us, the director of the World Evangelical Alliance's Public Engagement Department, of which Peace and Reconciliation Network, which I serve with as a part of. Welcome, Johannes. Glad to have you with us. Thank you for inviting me. Listeners, if you didn't get a chance to hear the first episode and you're starting here, we'd invite you to go back and listen to the other one because Johannes shared some of his story and it's only some of it, which is an incredible story of transformation and really led to this, this second episode, which is this question of how is peace and reconciliation so central to the mission of the church, to the life of family, to the core and the essence of the gospel? And Johannes, we want to dive down into this with you a little bit more because you've done not just lots of thinking about this, but lots of living it. Maybe let's start with that question. Why is peace and reconciliation at the core of mission and at the core of the gospel? Well, um, mission has directly to do with God deciding not to allow the world he created, beautiful created, to perish. Because the world having become autonomous, and our humans, the human world having become autonomous of God, was and is on the path of destruction, self-destruction. God has sent his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, to reconcile the world with himself. In other words, to create a path of restoration, transformation, and uh, a new start. That allows us humans to create a beautiful life which God intended for us, and uh, go back to his initial idea of, of life on earth. So bringing harmony back to our life. So peace and reconciliation is a path. It's a way back to the original idea of humanity on earth. Not only humanity on earth, it's going back to the original idea of being a blue planet with an incredible richness of life, and also an incredible harmonic life. That's what God intended originally, 
And so peace and reconciliation is the way back to that original plan and idea. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And and it's interesting how you shared not only the fact that we're reconciled to God, but we're also reconciled to each other and our planet. Can you dive into that a little bit more? Sure. Everything God made, he made things with a purpose. So humans are made with a purpose. He made man and woman, and he made us in order to be his ambassadors, his managers of life on earth. The real king and queens of earth are humans. So he made us to be here, his people, ruling the world and, uh, uh, well, uh, civilizing the world, culturally enriching the world. That was our task. So a purpose for human beings to live in community with one another. And so wherever humans start to live sinful, a sinful life, meaning a life beside the idea, the original idea of God, we will also break our relationships. And at the end, our relationships are in shocks. So in order to reconcile with God, we have to also find ways to one another. And as soon as we reconcile with God, we will reconcile with one another. So a new humanity, a new fellowship, a new community comes to life. A new culture develops. A new attitude to one another, but also to creation develops. I usually tell people the story of our little cat. We bought that cat in Canada, by the way, and we called the cat Chocoline. Uh, and I thought you would have called him Gretzky at least. No, Gretzky. We should. We tried, but my my daughter wanted the cat. I hated cats, so <laughs> we bought that Canadian cat, and it was called Choc- Chocoline, and so brought that cat back to Germany, and the cat developed an incredible, uh, well, interest in me, always coming to me, always sitting at my feet, and I hated cats. I, I kicked her, I beat her, I did all kinds of crude stuff to her, but she would continue coming. Sometimes she punished me, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, creating all kinds of mess in my office. They, she did it nowhere else, just in my office. But I did not see a problem with this. I hated cats, so I didn't want to have any cat. The cat lived for 18 years, a real longevity, you would say, long-living cat. And then, you know, in our Network for Peace and Reconciliation, we decided to expand on our reconciliation life with nature. So I wrote a book. And writing that book and studying the Bible, all of a sudden, my cat came to me every night in dreams, asking me a simple question, why are you hating me? (laughs) In in Romans uh, chapter 8, it says clearly that all creation waits until the, the sons of God are going to appear. So you are you a son of God for your cat? Or who are you? Are you God's manager? Are you God's ambassador to the cats of the world? Or who are you? Well, I really hated her. So this question what became that important in my life. So one day I broke broke in tears in front of God and said, Lord, you want me to reconcile with Chocoline? And the Spirit of God says, yes, I want to. So I went 
grabbed my cat, set the cat on my my lap, and and she was looking at me, you know, with an incredible loving eyes. And I said, Chocoline, I want to apologize. Please forgive me. And as if that cat understood me. Mm-hmm. She was just, you know, laying on, on my lap. And for the first of my, my time in my life, I felt an incredible love for this creature. Wow. So you became a cat whisperer. <laughs> yeah, you can say that. You can say that. And then that thing continued with, with other animals. Yes. And so today I would say, you know, I am, I am a responsible person. I am a, a person uh, God created with a certain responsibility. Yes. And that's the cultural mandate. Absolutely. And uh, my wife is, and you are, we humans are here on earth to take care of creation. So then as managers of the earth, is that then suggesting that the church should be both socially engaged as well as politically engaged? Well, first of all, there is no church without any political engagement and social engagement. The only question is, is this conscious? And is the engagement missional? Or is the engage, engagement just for the sake of earning money and working for myself? So there is no human being living in society and staying without society. So economy, our economical well-being, all of this is directly, directly connected to politics and to society and to our economical status, our well-being, and you name it. So Christians usually participate in all nice things, but then when we talk about building society and transforming society, and transforming the, the world around us. Then Christians all of a sudden say, you know, our task is just to go to heaven. Well, I usually react very rudely. I say, well, if you believe the only meaning of your life is to spend a couple of years here on earth in order to go to heaven, let's pray that the Lord takes you tomorrow. <laughs> because we don't need guys like that on earth. So if you, you aim for heaven, then go to heaven. But if the Lord has set you on earth, he has a, a purpose for this. It's a meaningful purpose. So just discover your missional calling, and then you will automatically end up with society and creation. So I want to dive into that a little bit, Johannes, because, you know, obviously it's beautiful and powerful what you're saying, and then we all have an everyday task in this. Sometimes those who follow Jesus and the church, maybe particularly in a Western context, are not quite sure how to engage politically or what that even means. Or we've turned it into something which is different than it sounds you're talking about. So could you help us wrestle through that? What does it mean for a church to be politically engaged? Is that party politics? Is that who we vote for? What does that actually look like? Well, first of all, a church in the world needs to accept responsibility for the world. The church not doing this does reject uh, any responsibility for the world because First John says, in First John we read, uh, Don't, do not love the world and what's in the world. And James uh, says in chapter 4, whoever wants to love the world is an enemy of God. So that's, that's the reason why some Christians just flee the world and say, no responsibility in the world, 
The other thing is true. We hate the world. We don't want to love the world. But then Jesus says, uh, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And he came to the world because God loved the world so much that he gave his uh, only begotten son. So what's true now is a tension between hating the world and loving the world, between uh, living in the world and transforming the world and fleeing the world. So what's true? The thing is that this very term world or in Greek cosmos is what we call a problem of interlinguality. It's It's a wrong friend. We have this same word in many languages, words like this in many languages. For instance, in German, if we say bank, the same thing is true for, for English. If we say bank, and I say, I have been on the bank, what are you saying? Have you been on the bank of the Mediterranean Sea? Or uh, uh, have you gone to a, a financial institute? What are you actually saying? So only giving more words to your sentence will make sense and will explain what you mean by saying, I have been on a bank or in a bank. So what do you mean by saying this? So cosmos is that word. It has four, at least four meanings. And one of them is humanity. And the other one is creation. And creation was beautifully made. God loves his creation. God loves his humanity. But there's also this understanding of the world being a anti-godly movement, autonomous movement away from God. Now, you hate the world which runs away from God. That's right. But you love creation. But then your question is, how do you engage politically? You see, political engagement, this very word uh, political engagement means you are engaging in a police you are police meaning the greek word meaning you're engaging in society in community you are engaging for the well-being of people living around you now this is not in the first place a party party politics you know it's not bipartisan so you you have to understand that engaging for the well-being of people living around you helping them to to better their life or helping them to create a meaningful relationship, helping them to reconcile with one another. And all of this is politics. It's immediate politics, but it's a different type of politics. So the church Mm -hmm. is engaged in community. And there are three levels of engagement. First of all, the church is, the Bible says, the church is a kingly priest. It is a priesthood of all believers. As a priest, we have a prophetic task. We have a prophetic voice in our society. We will never accept injustice. We never accept stories which change uh, life of people to the worse. We will never accept poor people having nothing to eat. We will, we will not only criticize, we will fight injustice. We'll be against injustice. So a prophetic voice, a priestly voice, but only a prophet, not only a prophetic voice against something, we are a priest who, who enters the holy of holy in front of God and prays for the community, prays for the people, blesses people. So that's one very important political task. So in my experience, I will always encourage the church to pray for their mayor of their city, to pray for the political parties, to go there and bless them. 
So become a priest, a communal priest for your community. And secondly, the church is not only a priest, the church is a royal priest. And the responsibility of a king is not only to demand a better life, but work for a better life, to create structures of better life, to help to create positive structures of reconciled living, harmonic living between cultures and nations, ethnic groups, and so on, yeah, to sort out issues and help people to live. And the last one, we are not only a royal priesthood, we are a chosen people, a culture, a culture of a new quality. So we model to the people around us how to live a culture of peace and reconciliation. For instance, in your country, in Canada, between the, the First Nations and the European settlers, it's a huge issue. But the church needs to be in the, in the front line of that movement, modeling a different culture, a culture where life in peace and harmony is possible. That's really good. It's really, really helpful. Let's wrestle with a very practical example right now. So there's a situation obviously going on between Ukraine and Russia. What does political engagement look like for this royal priesthood, these chosen people? What does that look like in a situation like that? Well, first of all, political engagement, prophetic political engagement, will mean that the church needs to raise her voice and uncover the forces behind that war. The war in Ukraine is a religious war. It is the Russian world of Mr. Putin and Patriarch uh, Kirill, the Russian Orthodox Church, fighting for a new spiritual reality in the midst of the world, in Europe. If you do not understand what the Russian world, which is an, a foundation of the Russian government, active in more than 80 countries of the world, trying to create a new spiritual reality at the end of time, fighting homosexuality, fighting the LGBT community, and so on. If you do not understand that background, you will not understand why Mr. Putin does not speak of a war, but just of a special operation. Because he is in a, uh, on the way to return the canonic territory, the original heart canonic territory of the Russian Orthodox Church, which is in Kiev. That's where the Russian Orthodox Church started a thousand years ago. So you, you don't, do not understand that background, you will not understand the conflict, and you always talk about some uh, military action, some cruel stuff here and there, but you are not really answering the question, what is really going on? What's the background of this? That's the first thing you have to do. Secondly, you have to name issues which are incredibly problematic. For instance, you know, the Western world is sanctioning Russia because of them fighting or aggressively fighting Ukraine. But there is a law of a just war, which was uh, decided on in the uh, today's United Nations or the League of Nations, then when it was decided, there can't be any economic sanction which is actually troubling third parties. So what kind of sanction is that? You sanction Russia 
And at the end of the story, 14 million Ethiopians and Africans in the Horn of Africa is going, are going to starve and die of hunger. So you, you sanction Russia and you harm Africans? That is just not possible. You are not allowed to do anything like this. So sanctions are against our own ideas of international cooperation and collaboration. So think about this twice. And the church needs to raise her voice and say, it's not in order. It's not okay what Putin does, but it's also not okay what the West does. So please think twice about it. And thirdly, a church in a situation of war like this is a peace agent. You know, the many migrants of, out of Ukraine coming to our places. There are about 6 million now in Poland. There's 1.5 million in Germany alone. And then the 1.5 million up to 2 million Russian migrants leaving Russia's, uh, Putin's Russia, running away from that dictatorship. Yeah, the church needs to accept responsibility to help and to help them to start a new living outside of their countries and prepare them to go back. Then the other issues, uh, Ukraine is in war. That's terrible what happens in Ukraine. Mr. Zelensky, in the middle of all war, he just presented a new law on same marriage couples, same, same, uh, same, same uh, uh, sexes, partnerships and marriages. Uh, you know, uh, creating anger with the Russians even more with his Orthodox Church. So the Church can't keep mouth shut and say, well, it's a war, and we will allow a change in general, change in ethics and morals in that Ukrainian country. No, we have to open our mouth and say, it is bad what P Putin does, but in terms of ethics and morals, it's bad what Zelensky does. In no way it's right. So the church needs to stay church, not being neutral, but being church, being ecclesia of God, coming with the perspectives of heaven, not with the perspectives of a certain political party. And maybe the last, the last sentence, the church in the West is really called to think twice about our Western, Western orientation. The Western humanistic society with all kinds of humanistic ideas which are really forsaken uh, Christianity. Those Western ideas which are not biblical sometimes, not at all. The church needs to be very clear on that. We are not Western in our perspective. We are heavenly. We are biblical. We are godly. We are a church. So then correct me if I'm wrong, in order to understand from, from this example of the war in Ukraine and also from what we discussed earlier, in order to be socially and politically engaged, because often you hear the word be socially engaged or politically engaged and it causes red flags because of the way that we understand politics, but really it is um, living in a kingdom culture. So it's about engaging in community, empowering the poor, fighting injustice, praying for the community while creating structures for a better life and harmonious living that becomes a model on how to live in peace. Jenny, I couldn't say it better. Well, thank you. Wonderful. <laughs> now, then how does family come into all of this? 
you see, um, if God created humans and he, cr he created humans to be a family because family is the basic social unit of any community in any society. When we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, that God uh, made uh, man and woman, made them to be his image, or made them to be to, to his image, he did not use plural. So it's not he made man and woman and them. That it talks in a, in a, uh, a, in a complete different language. Man and woman are there mentioned as a human being. So humanity has two poles, female and male. And so wherever in the world we are acting towards shaping the world, transforming the world into the image God has given to the world, we do it as a unit, as a social unit, as a family, yeah, as man and woman and children come to this because we have to multiply. This is a part of our cultural mandate. Mm -hmm. yeah? It's a part of a cultural mandate. So family is so central to the heart of God that in the Old and New Testament, you will never find the term nation. There is no such thing. You read the original Hebrew, you will not find any nation. Like we translate, NIV translates, you know, God called Abraham, to be, uh, and promised him to become a big nation and all nations of the world are going to be blessed by him. That's baloney. There is no nation in that, new, in that Old Testament. It's everywhere family. God will make Abram a big family and all families of the world are going to be blessed uh, through this family. So the family is the basic unit of community. And wherever the basic unit is going to become rotten or become problematic, become corrupted, and so on, you, your society is going to die. And it was interesting that you noted in your book, Family in Mission, this fact that actually really blew me away. And it was that most people don't come to faith through some epic television evangelist or evangelistic crusade or even their local pastor and church, but it's through their family. That's right. And it's through the families, among families, so through a neighborhood where families live out their life and care for other families and share their life with other families. And by the way, the best missionaries are not the four-color evangelists from Texas or from Berlin. Yeah, the, the best evangelists are our children. Wow. It doesn't take long, and the children invite other children to come over. And so if you train children's to, children to be evangel evangelists, you, be, you will marvel how easy evangelism becomes. But the problem is that in our church reality, the children are there to be raised as Christians. So we spend 15, 20 years to raise their Christianity in them, never inviting them to, to be missionaries together with us. And then when they are grow up, grown up, then we send them to a Bible college or send them on a mission trip, and we hope they will now turn into a missionary. And then only a very, very, very small percentage becomes missionary-minded. 
because we didn't take them in right from the scratch. Okay, so this touches on the, the, a question that I uh, that I think is really crucial here: the nature of this peacemaking and reconciling mission that God has in the world that you touched on the beginning. The church being socially engaged, caring for the polis, caring for the society and the city, being a prophetic presence. The church being the church, the family so crucial in all of this. What should be the task then of the local church in developing this? What should the local church be focused on? Well, in First Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we read that God has sent his son to reconcile the world with himself, it says that God has given to the church, or he, he actually constructed, the Greek term says, he has put a structure into the church. Yeah, he gave us the word of reconciliation. That what, that's what the English translation suggests. But it actually says he constructed a word of reconciliation. He puts a structure in our midst. In other words, the church being the body of Christ is constructed to be a word of reconciliation to the people. So in the church, as an agent of reconciliation, you have more or less an office of reconciliation where you go to, where you find reconciling spirit and you find people who will help you to mediate your problems and whatever there might be. So the church is in the midst of society, a kind of a place where you go for reconciliation. In my book, I quote the story. I've done this many, many times, taking a taxi in Toronto, for instance, and saying to a taxi driver, bring me to a place where a mediation takes place. So bring me to a mediating center. And those taxi drivers, they have brought me to all kinds of institutions, to the police, to a jail, to a, a psychiatric clinic, to whatever. They never brought me to any church. Never, ever. But in God's economy, the church is that center. The church is that center. So the heartbeat of the church must become reconciliation. Because this is the, the heart of the gospel. That's where everything starts. It's reconciliation of humans with God, humans with one another, humans with themselves, and humans with creation. So help the church to become such a reconciliatory center, a place where people go to if they need mediation, in whatever, whatever capacity, in whatever problem. So help them to become this. And again, Wherever we started this, we, as uh, you know, this with Peace and Reconciliation Network, we have this program of helping the church to become a center of mediation. And the program f flies high in some places of the world, especially in Western Europe, for instance, in Germany. And again, it's the children, you know, they are, as soon as they start to understand, we are it, uh, agents of mediation. And they're in school. And between the classes, the children start to fight with one another. And then uh, teachers try to sort out issues. But just imagine children sorting out issues. Because in the church, they have been trained to become mediators. They say, why are you fighting with one another? Hey, let's sort this out. Let's sort this out. Up to a point where they start to pray for people. One day I was in a church and then 
uh, a, a person came to me and he says, we are attending this church. We just recently started because our kid in the school, he was always fighting with other children. And then his friend came and he said, well, I want to pray for you because you are just creating trouble here. So I want to pray for you. And then he prayed for our son, and our son changed completely. Now he is not fighting in the church, in, in, the, in, the, in the school any longer. He is peaceful at home. And so we invited that friend to come to our place. We asked that kid, now why are you the way you are? Oh, he says, I'm in a small kids mediation team in my church. And then, and then they, they came to see that mediation place. You know, this kids club. And at the end, they stand, stay in the church and they gave their life to Jesus and their life changed completely. Simply because the church is what the church is, a center of mediation for the whole community. It's beautiful, Johannes. You've given us a ton to think about. And uh, listeners, as you ponder all this and consider the different ways in which your everyday life touches these things, we really hope that you begin to think about your own story and how reconciliation touches it, informs it, and how the good news of Jesus, the great reconciler, can change the place where you're living and the situations you find yourself in. Johannes Reimer, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me and bless you. Thank you to all of our listeners for listening to the All Things Reconciled podcast, a podcast of the Peace and Reconciliation Network, as well as the EFC. Please tell your friends about this podcast and other great EFC podcasts. You can follow PRN on Facebook, donate to this work through the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada using the code WEAPRN, or check out our website at reconciledworld.net. Go in peace today. Go make peace every day.